before we sing, might we look at in our Bibles in Hebrews 9. We're going to go through the veil now, and this is a very important truth for us all. Verse 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests, they are Aaron's two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, went always into the first tabernacle. That's the holy place, the first room called the tabernacle here. Accomplishing the service of God. But into the second, that is the holiest of all, requiring passing through the veil. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Now, this is an important verse. The Holy Ghost, this signifying. In other words, the Holy Ghost showing by this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle had its standing, as the New Translation puts it. Now, this is just a shadow of what we will see in our entrance through that veil. Which, verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings. That was what the priests went through, the formality and the things that they did. And carnal ordinances, that means ordinances of the flesh, imposed on them until the time of Reformation, which we have now today. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, that's heaven itself, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let's sing number 136. The veil is rent. Our souls draw near unto a throne of grace. The merits of the Lord appear. They fill the holy place. His precious blood has spoken there before and on the throne and his own wounds in heaven declare the atoning work is done. We have come to the position where the priests, the sons of Aaron, the two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, would have to stop at the veil. We're going to read about that veil now. It divided the tabernacle into two. God's purpose always was that there would just be one 
in everything. And so we're going to see what transpires. So let's go to Exodus chapter 26. First we will look at the shadow, that which we read of in the tabernacle, and then we will apply this now in our own soul and see the spiritual application. Exodus 26, verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubims shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. Now, there were three, we might say, obstructions. One was the outside gate. That was the gate for the one who had, in ignorance, committed a sin or who was bringing a voluntary offering. He would come with his sacrifice and he would come through this area in the illustration. And he would bring his sacrifice past the priests who always were here on the east side of the tabernacle and he would come through that gate that we see over there. That gate, as we mentioned, was for the people. It was access only in a limited uh, distance to approach God, God living in this holiest of all, all through those 38 years. The sinner, that person who had committed an offense or who was bringing a, a, a sacrifice uh, of thanksgiving to God would come through that beautiful gate of grace. No hindrance at all. But then as we learned yesterday, uh, is, this is but a picture of your and my coming through the gate of salvation, accepting the Lord Jesus as Savior, and finding, as that man did, a great box, which is here in this size model, of the brazen altar, large box, the fire never going out. Day and night it was always burning. Access always available for any offense against the holy God. We saw yesterday also that this was a limited illustration. It doesn't carry the full story for that in this way that when you and I have come through that gate of salvation, when we have come to that brazen altar, which is, of course, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand there and we would see at the cross our substitute the man would see the substitute for his sin dying there, that little animal dying, and he'd see the smoke ascending up to God. He was accepted. His sins were accepted. Out he would go. But, in your case and mine, when we accept the Lord as our Savior, we don't go back out that gate again. We are separated people now, and furthermore, we have become a priest. And, oh, we are now in type one of the sons of Aaron. But 
there was a great difference, as we saw, that there was a hindrance, a very serious hindrance for the priests to have access into this part of the building or to officiate at one of those sacrifices. And that was this laver that we examined. Large laver, not blood in it, water. Blood here, water here. One sacrifice for sins forever by the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Repeated necessary washing of the water by the word, Ephesians 5.26. Failing that, the priest was dead. He died. And we learned that wonderful lesson that if you and I have access, which we do have, into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, it must be with clean hands and feet. We're coming into the holy presence of the Lord Jesus. Would to God we would be more conscious of the privilege and the responsibility of sitting in quietness before the Lord. Permit me to repeat what I said the other day. And that is this, that if you and I are conscious, if we are deeply conscious of the fact that we're coming into the holy presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're certainly not going to be coming in late to the meeting. We're not going to be coming in tired. Excuse me for saying these things. It's so important for the Savior, for the Lord's glory, I must say it. It wouldn't be suited for the Lord's holy presence to be coming in late to be making a noise in the assembly. Oh, what we need, beloved ones, is the deep consciousness of the Lord's presence. I see sometimes, even in the assembly, chewing gum in the Lord's presence. It just jars me. Not for my sake, it has no, nothing to do with me, but for the Lord's holy presence. How important this is to realize the privilege, but with it, the responsibility. Aaron's boys could go into that first room. They could officiate there. You and I have access into the presence of the Lord as well, which we're going to see. But when the boy, the sons came to the veil, we read now there was a difference between that gate, which is made of these three colors. We put the keys up here, the blue and the purple and the scarlet bringing before us different aspects of the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing else but those colors woven into it. Likewise, when the door was entered here, those priests, having washed their hands and feet, they had access, they pushed their way through that veil and uh, that uh, door, and there they were in the holy place. But when they would come here, an obstruction, because that veil, as we read, had cherubims woven into it. Now, cherubims are the executive power of God's judgment. They carry out any infringement of God's order or his commandments. Like the cherubim in the Garden of Eden when the man and the woman were driven out, there there were those cherubim with a flaming sword so that access was barred into God's presence. But we're going to read about access that you and I have now, no longer barred. So therefore that veil was bar a bar for the sons. They couldn't go in anymore. 
any farther. But we saw that in our verse in Hebrews that the Lord Jesus Christ has gone right into heaven himself through the veil. Now we're going to read, that, uh, and we also read there in Hebrews, that that man, Aaron, on this right-hand side, wearing his garments of glory and beauty, he had access at any time, in, at, originally, into God's holy presence here. We'll speak about that ark that was inside where God dwelled, and this was where Aaron could come in at any time. Let's read the sad occurrence. Let's go over to Leviticus. Chapter 16. Verse 1. Leviticus 16, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. This was the mercy seat, nice indicated. That was the mercy seat. We'll cover it. A little bit later, Aaron could no longer come in there wearing those garments of glory and beauty. Within the veil, before the mercy seat, which is upon the altar, uh, upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Now there was a new order. Aaron no longer could come in wearing those garments of glory and beauty. Verse 4. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. Now we know a tragic event has taken place. It's just the intimation of it. Aaron is told now no longer coming in. What happened? What happened? His boys died. Why did they die? Let's go back to the 10th chapter to pick up the reason. That's Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, there were the eldest sons, the first two sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord which he commanded them not and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Now there is the happen. Covered it a little bit. I want to emphasize it again. They brought strange fire before the Lord. That would be a picture of your and my thinking that we could be worshipping the Lord by 
music, by something that we were doing for the Lord, our life, things that we would do, preaching the gospel, for instance, having an idea that this is worshiping the Lord. It's not. It's service. Worship always precedes service. And this is a very important truth, beloved ones. Here, these sons, indifferent to the Word of God. Oh, we're living in a day when so many believers are substituting their own opinion for the Word of God. We cannot do this. I know I kind of am thought of as old-fashioned for emphasizing this, but by God's grace, I just want to be faithful. And I believe that if we depart from the firm, established plain word of God that we have been learned, that we've learned since our childhood days. It's a departure from the word of God and we are in serious danger. And so it's very important to learn that these boys, I suppose they were sincere, but they were going to try something different. And oh, it is so important for us, beloved ones, to distinguish what is the holiness that belongs to the Lord and not to be bringing in new ideas. As I said, I know I'm a target for, uh, for uh, blame sometimes for emphasizing this. I have to say it. And that is, I believe that we must stand firm for the truth. Paul said to Timothy in his first epistle and the third verse, see that they teach no other doctrine. There was no bending of the word of God. Oh, beloved ones, just may we be simple and go on in obedience to the word of God. You're going to be blessed. I was telling one of the sisters, you want to be blessed? Yes. Smile came over her face. I know we all want to be blessed. It's the road of obedience and nothing else that is going to bring blessing into your life for the Lord's glory. Aaron suffered the consequence of this. He's barred from that presence. Now let's go over to the 28th chapter of Exodus and we're working backwards. We're going to see what these clothes were. Exodus 28. Notice the affinity, the closeness between Aaron and his boys' clothes. And take uh, verse 1, Exodus 28, verse 1. And take thou unto thee, Aaron thy brother, and his sons with him. From among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and beauty. And then it goes on to describe that marvelous garment that Aaron was made. There he was. It was the only article that had gold woven into it. I think I covered this a little bit the other night. I'll just say quickly. 
They were instructed to have these colors, the same three that were in the veil, the door and the gate, but there was to be gold, a block of gold, piece of gold, beaten into a flat uh, sheet, and then miraculously, you might say, cut into strips of thread and woven into his garments of glory and beauty. And I suppose that gold, when he would come into the holy place and the seven lights would be playing there, it would just pick up those threads of gold. Oh, this is the Lord Jesus Christ in all the sweetness and the perfection and the glories of his divine person. On his shoulders he had two plates. And on those plates there was a onyx stone on one shoulder and on another. And on each shoulder, six of, on one shoulder, six of the names of the twelve tribes was written, engraved, and six on the other. Bringing before us the security that you and I have in on the shoulders of Christ. He's going to deliver us right into glory. And on his breast, there was a square cloth of blue, and on those, on that breast, there were 12 individual stones, each one a different color, and each one representing each one of the 12 tribes, bringing before you and me the breast, the seat of affections, and individually, not collectively, but individually loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Each color would shine out in a different way when it would, when he would approach that holiest of all, in that holy place with the seven candles there, shining on that breastplate of love. Beloved ones, does this touch your heart? Do we just think of this rather interesting talk that he's giving? This is for you and for me to appropriate for ourselves the consciousness of the divine protection that he's going to put us on his shoulders. He has, and he's going to take us right into the glory, into God's presence. And then to know that you and I are individually loved. It's not a great mass of people. The Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins if you are a believer. If you are not, why this is just nonsense, what I'm saying. But if you and I have been won by the sense of the love of Christ, why we are born in, on his breast right into God's presence now as a high priest up in the glory. Aaron was told, take off those clothes. You can't come into my presence, God would say to him. You must substitute, take off your clothes when you come into the tabernacle area and put on these clothes, garments of pure white, not without blood, as we read in Hebrews. And there he would come with blood taken from the sacrifice, coals of fire, and he would come in through that veil. I like to apply it this way. In the garden, God was able to walk in holiness and communion with Adam and Eve. He walked there in the cool of the day. But sin came in and that communion was broken 
and Adam and Eve were driven out of that garden. No more access. No more access. That's finished. And that went on for 4,000 years. 4,000 years. Wherein God would look to find one person that would obey him or live for his glory and he didn't find one. And as it were, the Lord Jesus Christ, divine Son of God, as it were, wearing those garments of divine glory in heaven, he would lay aside his glory and he comes down to this earth as a little baby and he grows up as a man and he's wearing these garments of pure white linen. Now yesterday, we, or the other day, we went into the the question of the linen a little bit more than is necessary now. That linen was displayed in the hangings of the court all around. That's the only white linen that the people would see as they would look at that tabernacle. And I was pointing out that in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, they only saw a perfect little boy and a man in all the perfection and sinless nature of his divinity. He laid aside that glory, as it were, and he now has become a man. And yet in manhood, he was in sinless perfection. He wore the garments of glory, at least these garments and not without blood, as it were. And the Lord Jesus Christ has shed his blood and made an atonement. And we know from the 27th chapter of Matthew's Gospel that when that blessed one died on the cross of Calvary, at that moment, in that temple that was built at that time, Herod's temple in Jerusalem, it was an empty, holiest of all. Ark, no doubt, was lost. Empty house, the Lord could say, your house is left unto you desolate. Though it was an empty house, God still looked at it as his house. That veil, that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy, tore from the top right down. Miraculously, God doing it. From the top down to the bottom, from heaven to earth. And that veil tore, as I said, and the entrance was made into God's presence through that veil and it's gone. The two rooms have become one. Access, blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his flesh. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 first. But in these, in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Now we bring back our thoughts to that fact that Aaron was only allowed to come in once a year wearing these garments of white and with the confession and a remembrance of all the sins of all those people. Just think of that. A remembrance. Remembrance. The Jewish people still carry this out. I knew a businessman and he said, yes, we're supposed to remember our sins for the last year. He said it with a laugh. Well, the Lord, at least Aaron, brought a remembrance of those sins before God, and that blood cleansed them for a year in type. Now let's go over to the contrast in verse 17. 
and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. That's referring to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here is the verse, which applies to everyone here in this audience this afternoon who knows the Lord is your Savior. This is your access. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. There's the veil gone now. And having an high priest over the house of God, that's the Lord Jesus himself, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is the effect now so beautifully illustrated in the tabernacle, sprinkled by the blood, covered by the blood, sins gone forever, never to be remembered, and our bodies washed the laver with pure water. Oh, how beautiful. Touching. It just overwhelms us, doesn't it, to realize that all these types are uh, completed in contrast by one offering, which the Lord Jesus Christ did upon the cross. Now Aaron was going to come through that veil and the object that would meet his eye is the highest of all the objects of the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord himself. And it's made up of three objects now, which we will examine briefly. A box containing the Ten Commandments, only, that was the only object that was inside them at once, uh, at the beginning. The holy commandments of God. They had to be contained in there. They were exposed. They'd all be dead. When Moses received all these instructions and he was coming down out of the mountain, why he heard the noise there and why he discovered there that the people had turned to idolatry and they were worshiping a golden calf, if Aaron had brought those plates down into that camp, no doubt the whole camp is dead because of the holiness of those Ten Commandments. So they, the second time when Aaron was taken up into the mountain, he received a new set of plates. I should say he broke those commandments instead of the people dying. The next time he went up and he received another set and God said to him, put them in this tabernacle, in this ark. And so the Ten Commandments alone were in there. That was the holy standards of God. The blessed Lord Jesus himself was the embodiment of all the holiness of all the commandments of God. On the top of it, there were cherubims. And we will, if you want to look at it at the interval, you'll see that those, the heads of those cherubim, heavenly beings, they were just standing and gazing down onto some object before them, wings spread out covering this other third object called the mercy seat, and it was a slab of pure gold, and it covered the whole of this ark and contained, as it were, the Ten Commandments, a lid on them, as it were, and on top of this was where God met with them. 
This was the mercy seat. And it was sprinkled with blood when Aaron would approach there in front of it and on it. And this was his access to God. So let's read it now. When we see the little model, it helps us to more quickly understand the, the wording. 25th chapter of Exodus, verse 10. And thou shalt make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. That was 1836, about 42 inches long at that size. And a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. You may not be able to see it at the back, but you can, other ones here can see that there were, there was a crown around in the top of that box, reminding us again of the Lord Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And then we go on. Verse 12, and thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it. There were the rings at the four corners uh, to to hold the staves through which uh, this ark was going to be carried. Verse 16, and thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And now here is the third object the mercy seat. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, the exact size of the ark. And then, and thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Verse 20, And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Now here it is. And there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now there was the holiest of all those articles, the very presence of the Lord throughout Israel's history. It found its resting place in the tabernacle. We know how carelessly they acted when the Philistines were allowed to grow in strength against Israel and they were being beaten, Israel, uh, really a, a front to God, 
they said, let's get the ark and bring it out into the battle. And it, they referred to it as it, it will give us the victory. So they go right into God's house and they take this ark out and out into the battlefield it goes. Just using God as a convenience. Is that what we are doing? So often we are. We have to be honest, don't we? When the Lord lays his claims on us, we're not so interested. But when there are troubles, why, we're so quick, aren't we, to come to the Lord in prayer and seeking his help. But when the trouble is over, the crisis is past, we forget about him. This is what they were doing. This was never to be used in that way. It was a desecration of God's holy presence. He allowed them to be beaten and this ark taken. And the Philistines had it for quite a while. They took it and they brought it. They knew they had more sense of its holy holiness than Israel did because they put it right into their Dagon's temple. And in the morning when they came in there, they found that this uh, heathen god made out of the figure of a person and the bottom part a fish, fish's body combined that had fallen over. And they set it back up again uh, in the presence of this holy ark. And the next morning they went in there and it had fallen and it had smashed. And they said, let's get rid of this. This is God's presence. Let's get rid of it. And so they said, we don't know whether it's real or not. But they said, we will build a cart and we will take some cows uh, with little their calves and we'll tie up the calves in the barn and we will attach the cows to this wagon and we'll put the ark on it and we will watch to see what will happen. If the cows turn around and go to their calves, then we will know it's nothing. But if, on the other hand, the cows will take a straight line and go back to the land of Israel, we'll know it's of God. You ever do that in your life? Ever ask the Lord to show you something? And he has shown you? And then we forget him? Oh, beloved ones, I'm telling these things to encourage us that the holy presence of the Lord is a reality in your life and mine. It's not just a question of coming into the meetings and so on. Oh, every day of the, of the week, every hour of the day, we need that blessed one uh, to be walking with us and uh, to be in communion with him, with a good conscience. It went back to Israel. When the men of Beth Shemesh saw it, they were plowing, and all they said was they just saw the ark coming back and they say, oh, the ark is coming back. When those people, you remember I told you that when the ark had been taken by the Philistines and then they sent it back uh, on the cart and the people of that little place called Beth Shemesh, they were so careless that some of them said, let's look inside the ark. And they apparently, you see, this was just a, a cover, uh, no doubt that it would be lifted off. And they, they peeked inside there, and the scripture says that thousands of them died. Oh, yes, that has got some white glue there to hold the cover on. But we don't take it off because we don't want to be 
looking into the ark. But it's just an empty box. Moses came down from the mountain and he broke those Ten Commandments, saving the life of the people. Feel free to interrupt any time and, and ask, or correct me. <laughs> I slip of the tongue often. Now, I want, now I want to mention a, a few things in connection with this, the, this being the ultimate. One of them, the three accesses through the outside gate, first of all, wide, no hindrance for the person who is bringing his sacrifice. The priest had his access here, the priests, through this door, approximately the same uh, square footage, 100 square cubits, speaking of the ultimate in responsibility. And then the veil where the high priest alone could come into the holy presence of the Lord once a year. And that's where the cherubim were. No doubt the high priest would go in there with fear and trepidation. And they would wait until he emerged. And when he did, why then they would know that their sins had been forgiven. I liked a very lovely and touching comment that Mr. Bellet made in connection with this. That that is but a picture of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified by his people Israel, has gone now into the holiest of all. As far as the people are concerned, they don't realize it at all. But the little remnant in a future day, the believer, believing Jews, after we're gone, they are going to be very concerned as to their position. These are the believing remnant after we're gone here on this earth. The Jewish, a few, a third of them are going to believe that the Lord Jesus is going to come back as king this time. And they are going to be uncertain. That's what the Psalms are about. So often the Psalms bring before us the uncertainty of that uh, remnant. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And they are concerned about the coming of their king. And so they are waiting. And then the Lord Jesus will come out of heaven with outstretched arms in blessing to that remnant that is going to suffer untellable persecution and death for their faithfulness, the testimony to Jesus. And then they will see their Messiah, their blessed one, their Redeemer, coming in the clouds and they will be assured that their sins are forgiven. But what about us? He hasn't come out of heaven yet. How do you know that you're going to be in heaven? How do we know positively? We have the word of God, of course. But here is the lovely point that he mentioned. Instead of the Lord Jesus Christ coming out and confirming it to us, he's still hidden there. The Holy Spirit has been sent down from heaven. And here he has come down 50 days after, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Lord died on the cross, 
and he has come down and through the Holy Spirit he teaches us and he confirms to us the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has obtained eternal redemption for us. He occupies us and gives us the absolute assurance that though the Lord Jesus hasn't come down, though we haven't seen him, the Holy Spirit in our hearts now is that guarantee. God has put the stamp on us and we have that Holy Spirit in our heart, though we haven't seen anything, but we have the precious word of God. I enjoyed that thought. Now then, there were seven hindrances, we might say, or seven, seven bars for the people ever to be able to get into the presence of God. They, they could, not one person apart from Aaron and his sons ever uh, were in that building when it was standing. This one was the great space there that would be uh, always uh, a, a, a guard, a protection. As I said in Numbers three times, it says, The stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. We learn from that that I cannot allow that old nature of mine to be active. This is why our assemblies are small, are they not? Because we sometimes... the flesh is unjudged and the flesh is allowed to become activated. Uh, we, we allow those things of the old nature to, to work. And particularly, let me just say this in passing, I would believe that a brother's meeting is the barometer of an assembly's uh, going on with the Lord. Sometimes we allow the flesh to act in the, in the brother's meeting, whereas not in the presence uh, of the Lord in the when all the assembly is gathered together. Beloved ones, this is so important for us as an assembly to realize that the Lord Jesus is to be honored at all times and that we are never to allow that flesh to be acting in us. How careful we should be to remember that the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. I cannot allow the old nature to work in me. Now we remember that in... In the book of Leviticus, there was a special new law, a uh, new uh, remembrance that was, uh, uh, let me put it this way. God told Moses to take two loaves of bread, or Aaron, and they were to put leaven in them. First time there was a sacrifice of these loaves of bread with leaven in it. Leaven is a picture of the old nature. Well, we would wonder how that would be in relation to the assembly. Well, it is important, isn't it, for us to realize that we have that old nature. But when that bread, those two loaves, which would be pictured of the church comprising the Jew and the Gentile brought together into the one body, that bread, when it went into the oven, the leaven was stopped. The activity of the leaven was stopped. So that I can't say, well, that old nature, it's so strong, and I can't really enjoy the Lord when I have that old nature so active. Oh, beloved ones, this is because we don't realize that you and I have been given power to put that old nature in the place of death. Sixth chapter of Romans tells us to reckon ourselves 
dead unto sin. God sees that old nature as gone. And if you and I are believing God, we're not going to be feeding that old nature. Well, all these things are hindrances, aren't they? Uh, and to the full and sweet communion with the Lord. So there was the first thing. It was that space. The next thing was that surrounding the tabernacle, in the front of it, in the east side of it, were the tents of the priests. Along this side and the west side and the north side were the Levites. And it tells us in Numbers that when the tabernacle was standing still, these Levites guarded, only guarded. They didn't do anything else but guarded the presence of the Lord. You and I are three things in connection with the tabernacle. First of all, we are priests with access into God's presence. While the tent tabernacle was standing still, the Levites did nothing but guard. The priests were the active ones in worship. But when the cloud rose up, it was a signal for the whole of the camp that the, it was going to move. And so Aaron and his sons went into the holiest of all. They took down that veil and they covered the ark with that veil. And then they took a covering of, uh, of badger skins and then they, they laid that and wrapped up the holy ark with that. And then they took a cloth of blue and they put that cloth over the badger skins and that's the way it was carried through the wilderness for those many years. When the tabernacle was standing, the priests were active, the Levites were guards. But when the tabernacle was dismantled and it was taken through the wilderness, the priests disappeared and the Levites were active. Well, this tells us a very important thing, and that is that you and I, as priests, we have access into God's presence in worship. But on Monday, when we go to school or we go to work, we're not priests anymore. We are Levites, bearing the person of the Lord through this world. So that the priests had no part in the procession other than to cover up these articles and then give them to the Kohathites who carried them through the wilderness and the priests disappeared. Very important for us to realize and to distinguish between our priestly work and our Levitical work. Paul was told, or at least it was said of Paul when he was saved, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, uh, the, uh, uh, the Gentiles, and kings and the children of Israel in that order. That is that Paul was a Levite in front of the world. And for service, you and I are Levites before the world. For worship, we are priests. And then thirdly, this great army here, 604,000, they were warriors. And this is what you and I are. We are told this in the second of Timothy, that we are to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. There are the three things we want to distinguish them between our service in worship, in service, and as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. 
Now then, that was the second thing, the protection that these ones gave. The third one was that gate which would preclude any entrance apart from those who would be bringing sacrifices. That was three. And then the next object was, as we saw, was the brazen altar. And then the laver, which was for uh, the priest to wash. And that was a very serious obstacle unless they conformed to it and had their hands and feet washed. The next one was the door of the tabernacle. The next one was the veil. And that's the seventh one. And then access to God. How blessed that every one of those accesses has been put, uh, has been made available to us. Let's turn to uh, a verse in, in Romans. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access, access. That means a right and title to go in. By faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access I often tell the story when I was working for a large corporation. Sometimes the president would call and his office was, it was just magnificent. It was very elaborate. Beautiful uh, scotch granite place and oriental rug on the floor and paneling. Uh, of course, this was long ago, but it was a very impressive place to go in. President had a huge desk at one end of this big, very big office. He called for me one day. I went down. The secretary said, Mr. Morgan is, is busy. For a moment, you just wait here. So I was standing beside the door. All of a sudden, two boys came along, about 12 years of age, and they were kind of prancing along. And they went right by me, and they went right in the door, and they walked right into the office. And... The president lifted up his head and he said, Oh, come in, boys. They were his sons. He had access. You and I have access, beloved ones. Do we avail ourselves of it? Are we with a bad conscience and feeling, Well, I'm not worthy and so on? Oh, beloved ones, let's realize that first of all, we have that holy and blessed access at all times into his presence but secondly, it must be with those clean hands and feet. Seven in the scriptures is often a picture of perfection. Tomorrow night, Lord willing, when we put the coverings onto the, uh, over the top of the building, we will see that as it moves away, uh, the metals, as they move away from this holiest of all, which was a cube, incidentally, approximately 10 by 10 by 10. <clears throat> we'll find that those metals go down in their value from the gold to the silver to the brass. But in the holiest of all, there are seven things made out of gold that could be seen there. Nothing but gold in that holy presence of the Lord. 
And the first of all would be the three parts of this ark. The box containing the Ten Commandments, the mercy seat covered with blood, and then the cherubims standing there. I forgot to mention this as for the reason why they are bowed there. They are not carrying out anything. They are finished, as it were, with that work. They look at the blood. The blood has accomplished, as we have just read, peace with God. And so these cherubim now are just gazing in wonder at that blood. Some of you saw this model with the heads of those cherubim just bowed, uh, resting now on the fact that the Lord, in type, that the Lord Jesus has, has come and accomplished the work. No more judgment now. There is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to them that are in Christ Jesus. Never will one soul in this audience who knows the Lord Jesus as your Savior, ever stand before the Lord Jesus in judgment for one sin you've ever done. But that doesn't give you and me license to go on carelessly. It makes us very deeply conscious, does it not, of the fact that my sins put the blessed Lord Jesus on the cross. He suffered there, the just for the unjust, But let us never forget the wonderful access that we have. Three pieces of gold. The fourth one, the boards there. Made out of wood, covered with gold. Just like the prodigal son, covered with that best robe. We're all standing there in that, forming that one body. Four next, four rings that would be seen there of gold locking all the boards together, making it stable and sure in the sanctuary. Beloved ones, when you and I are living in the sanctuary, there are no doubts in your mind and mine about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one gathering center on this earth. These thoughts that there could be many Lord's tables is just so contrary to the teaching of this, uh, of the tabernacle. There was only one tabernacle. There is only one Lord's table. If we say we are the only ones and we're right and everybody else is wrong, why, we're just making ourselves into a sect. But we want to establish the truth, do we not, that God could never have two centers. He only had one tabernacle. He only had one temple. And he is... The Lord Jesus, as 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, is Christ divided. He is indivisible. There is only one gathering center. And if you and I, beloved ones, as I mentioned before, have one object before your life and your heart, and that is to exalt Christ in your life, I found it in my own soul that when I was careless in my life, I couldn't see it. But thank God, he's opened my eyes to see that there can be only one gathering center, and that is the blessed person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I say it this way, if there could be two centers, there could be two hundred. And we know that the Lord Jesus, as I said, is Christ divided? No, he's not. There is only one holiest of all. There's only one heaven. There's only one Savior. 
And as I mentioned last night, there is only one God and one Lord Jesus and one Holy Spirit and one body and one loaf, one opinion, one truth. doesn't ever say truths in the scripture, one truth. And then the golden uh, pillars here that we will speak about uh, tomorrow night, Lord willing. There they were of gold. And I believe that covers the whole seven. Pure gold, divine perfection. Are you and I availing ourselves of that wonderful position in this world that is just on the verge of the plunge to hell? The privilege that you and I have, beloved ones, of bowing our heads in absolute obedience to the word of God and letting the spirit of God just warm our hearts toward Christ. If that's the object, you and I are all going to be in happy oneness of mind. Oneness of mind. This is what brings unity, I believe, and nothing else. And that is the mutual desire to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be exalted beloved ones, in our hearts and win our affections and separate us from this world that can add nothing to our joy. Even the mixing in with other Christians, I have to warn myself against that. I've had much experience in many places and I have just found that to compromise on those things are going to distract me and throw dust in my eyes. We have to walk a narrow path. This was a narrow uh, life for these people. All they had to be concerned about as they journeyed through that wilderness was to keep their eye on that cloud. That's all those people ever could see in reality was that cloud. And as they watched that cloud, they knew that everything was in order. If your eye is on Christ, beloved ones, that's all we have to be careful for. The honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ it tells us there in Numbers, I think it's chapter 9, that when that cloud moved, they moved. And when the cloud rested, they rested. Time and time again, I think it's about six or seven times, it mentions it over and over again. May I just close my talk this afternoon with that need for you and for me to go through this world with our eye upon that blessed one, our cloud. And if we are, we're going to be living for his glory in this dark world and you're going to have discernment as to what to separate from down here and thirdly, you are going to have answered prayers. First epistle of John chapter 3 verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight.